happy Monday, and welcome to another episode of the Sneak Preview, a Filmgasm Productions podcast that follows the current film calendar. I'm Connor Izzagheri. And I'm Caleb Boucher. And today we're covering three of this past weekend's releases. We've got Tom McCarthy and Matt Damon's Stillwater, David Lowry and Dev Patel's The Green Knight, and our primary focus, Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt's Jungle Cruise. An interesting weekend. That was, for the most part, pretty good. Nice change of pace. But first, before we get into that, let's take a look at what happened last week in film. Last week in film. As usual, we've got a shit ton of trailers. In fact, we've got 10. So buckle up. I don't know what it is. Maybe because award season is ramping up, but we are getting more trailers every single day. I love it. I also hate it, but I do love it. First up, I want to talk about a couple trailers that aren't all that new, but that we missed in some previous episodes. We've got The Eyes of Tammy Faye, a biopic of evangelist Tammy Faye and Jim Baker, starring Jessica Chastain and Andrew Garfield. Comes out September 17th. You get a chance to see this trailer? I have not. I don't know. I think I like happened to catch on YouTube and I got busy. So I forgot to like log it for later and I just never got around to watching it. I despise televangelists so much. There's a special ring in hell for these assholes. And this movie looks like it's going to rip them apart the way like the Republican base was ripped apart in Vice. And uh, Jessica Chastain is transformative. I mean, Tammy Faye Baker is known for a lot of makeup and just being completely crazy. So good for Jessica Chastain for going there. Most excited. I'm. I'm. Uh. Sorry. I'm most excited to see Vincent D'Onofrio play Jerry Falwell, who was crazy and kind of like is the link between evangelists and the Republican Party. So, and I love D'Onofrio in everything he's done. So I'm excited for this. Okay, I'll have to check out the trailer. I like the cast that's attached, especially Justine and and uh, D'Onofrio. Um, not. Sorry, Garfield, it's not like I have anything against him, but he hasn't done anything to really truly impress me. I don't like know, Hacksaw Ridge impressed me. Hacksaw Ridge, he was really good in. I liked him on the social network. Uh, I don't know to blame, if to blame him, all the script for Amazing Spider-Man, so he didn't really impress me all that much in Amazing Spider-Man. I just think he was kind of miscast from the beginning on that. Yeah, he had the quips. I'll give him credit. He had the quips, but he didn't fit the role of like a nerdy Peter Parker. See, I feel like Tobey Maguire was a decent Peter Parker. Andrew Garfield was a decent Spider-Man. And Tom Holland can play both sides of the coin extremely well. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, my heart still goes to McGrath, so let's not get that. I know. I'm shrewd. <laughs> I love Tom Holland, but I was like eight when that first movie came out. So, uh, Next film, Coda which tells the story of a singer who comes from a deaf family. It's Apple TV plus on August 13th. This looks very sad. Uh, CODA is an acronym that stands for um, child of deaf adult. And her whole family, her mother, her father, and her brother are deaf fishermen. And she's the only one who can hear. So she's kind of like make sure because they, they need uh, a, a hearing person to do this job. But she is she loves singing, 
and she wants to be a singer so she has to choose between her family and her like career and it looks touching i'm i'll see it i didn't even hear that this movie so first time i'm hearing about it there, yeah a lot of these i just kind of find uh they don't get a lot of attention i just kind of like i see them at the movies or facebook or whatever i wish that they got more attention uh next up flag day Sean Penn directs and stars as a family man who leads a double life as a counterfeiter. Co-stars his daughter, Dylan Penn, comes out August 20th. Uh, this looks kind of sappy. Could go either way. Um, it's getting pretty panned by people already. Uh, it's currently sitting at a 4.5 out of 10 on IMDb. So I don't know if that's just hate on Sean Penn or whatever, because early IMDb scores always tend to be like trolls. Yeah, I never, I've learned not to trust it before movie comes out. I have actually seen this trailer. This one when I watched, I think like six or seven trailers in like one damn day. Um, this is one of the ones I did watch. And I mean, it didn't really leap out to me. It just seemed like another like run the mill, sappy, you know, story to get you in your feels. Mm, yeah. So I don't, it's not like I have anything against Sean Penn. His movie choices have not really ever like made me go, oh my God, I want to check out that Sean Penn movie. Yeah, kind of right. I agree. All right, those are the ones we missed from previous weeks. Now on to the new stuff. First up, we got Paul Schrader's The Card Counter, starring Oscar Isaac, Tiffany Haddish, Ty Sheridan, and Willem Dafoe. Looks intriguing, comes out September 10th. Uh, this looks interesting. Uh, looks like it could go off the rails, though. Um, looks like half card count counting movie, half revenge like military thriller. So I'm not really sure where to go with this, but I'm, I like the cast. So. Yeah. I'm in the same, I'm in the same mode with you. I like the cast. It looks like an interesting enough story, but like it, the trailer didn't really paint the clearest picture of what this is ultimately going to be. Like, yeah. is it going to be a solid 50, 50 is going to be more than the other. Like I'll have to see reviews on this one for, I really like out for it, but it looked intriguing enough. I agree. Um, next up, A24's Lamb, a bizarre elevated horror flick starring Numi Rapace, uh, who takes a disturbing liking to a newborn lamb on her and her husband's farm. Comes out October 8th. And not to disparage A24, but it looks like every other movie they have done since like 2014. So, I mean, the change the pace out? would be nice. Yeah, I. Like, and don't get me wrong, like, I like a good chunk of A24s, like, horror films, but as the years have gone on, and I keep hearing elevated horror, elevated horror, elevated horror constantly more and more, and I'm seeing what they're doing, I've been getting, like, turned off more and more. The big turning point for me, and I know Austin likes this movie, so I'm sorry in advance, was Midsommar. Yep. <laughs> that was the big turning point that made me finally go, like, I don't know if I can keep doing this A24, because he's... Your movies are drawn out. They are long. They are boring half the time. Like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Like, I love Hereditary. I love The Witch. But I'm just getting to a point. Like, and I like Numi Rapace. You know, I think she's a great actress. The plot is intriguing to this, but is it going to be, like, something that I'm going to like? Or is it going to be, like, Midsommar? I'm just saying they're, they're a good chunk of movie going fucking in already. Like, Yeah, I have a feeling... No, A24 launched another one this week, and I was in the same boat just waiting for it to go somewhere. 
I don't know why A24 is so against story. They really don't like it. They don't. They like, like, and they're just, they're becoming a company where it's like, it's almost getting pretentious. Like at first it was cool. They're getting movies that a studio usually wouldn't bank on out to the general public and they're making money off it. But it's like now it's getting to the point where it's like, are you guys still doing this to get stuff that the voices out there that can't be heard? Or are you just like up your own asses now? Like what's going on here? And they only do this shit with horror. Like their dramatic output, like mid 90s, Moonlight. These were great movies that stand on their own that are, you know, different. With horror, though, they keep almost like repackaging the same basic, you know, hit points and then just throwing actors into it and giving us a vague ending. Like, I'm, I'm really getting tired of it. I, you know, Hereditary and The Witch, I'm starting to think were flukes. That's what I'm thinking. That's why, like, when people, like, I, as I've gotten older, I've been more in the camper for doing, like, the independent route. And I mean true independent, not like they're even in, because as much as I like Blumhouse, right, and what they've done for the whole tournament, they do the same fucking movie constantly. Yeah. And um, I'm just at a point where it's like, yeah, like, the things like PG Psycho Gorman or, um, you know, Hatch and stuff, like the true indie stuff, that's what I tend to be going more towards nowadays. Because at least for the love of fuck, they're trying to be different and do something different and have fun with it. That's a big component is that A24 films take themselves so goddamn serious. Yeah. They're sucking all the joy out of horror. And that's annoying. I think we talked about, um, Austin and I talked about this when we did St. Maud, which was, again, the same fucking thing. And uh, there's nothing wrong with a psychological horror film. There's nothing wrong with being creative or being visually interesting. Just, you know, don't forget that people are going to see these movies to be entertained. Like, don't forget that. People, you know, want to be entertained. And if they're just going to sit there for two and a half hours just watching, you know, interpretive, crazy bullshit that doesn't go anywhere, eventually people are going to stop. Yeah. That's why it's like, you know, sometimes people like, you know, now, now being older, a lot of people like the like the older horror generations. Not Josh. Let me just put that out there. Not Josh, at least. So now I'm saying older here. Uh, they like to shit on like the early 2000s era, like that torture porn and stuff. And I'm like, say what you want, and it's like nihilistic and in your face as that shit was. Dear God, they had more fun than like what A24 does. Like, Pills of Eyes, yeah, it's in your face. It's violent as fuck, but it's way more fun to sit through than fucking half of A24's output. Same with Devil's Rejects or the Saw franchise. Like, those I'll sit through any day. And keep in mind, those those movies have some pretty fucking graphic material in them. True, but you can tell that the filmmaker's heart is in it. You can tell that there's, you know, these are people who grew up with, you know, slasher flicks and wanted to do something of their own. Whereas the A24 films, at least the ones I've seen, seem to be like, I want to make a horror film, but I want to make a drama too. And instead of just making two films, I'm going to make this one film that makes no sense. Yeah. And one, even then, like the directors I get, like uh, Ari Aster, Hereditary and Midsommar, I get the feeling he's not really a horror fan. Like mm. he kind of, after Hereditary, was like, I want to do this, uh, this movie, which at the time ended up being Midsommar, right? That's not as horror, but still horror. And then we're going to try to get out of it. So I get the feeling that they're, they're getting people that aren't real big horror fans yeah. working for them, which is usually, again, or at least give Blumhouse credit, they get 
people were interested in the horror genre that are fans. So they attract so much talent on their end. Um, but A24 seems to get people that just, that's not really something they want to do. They just want to make an elevated horror film, you know, air quotes on that. So they can continue the conversation for the people who hate horror and then me, people like me, and just annoyed. Yeah. So, Lamb, take away from it what you will. Uh, I'm sure I'll watch it and bring my two cents to this show. Yeah, I'm sure I'll watch it. I'm, I'm expecting at this point or midsummer where I just sit there going, oh my God, in this fucking movie. I should have known when I saw It Comes at Night what to expect. From the rest I have of yet to watch that because I've heard just from so many people, just it has no payoff. Yeah, spoiler alert. Nothing fucking comes at night. You never see anything actually come at night, which I know is a stupid nitpick, but you know, if I named my movie, you know, The Thing in the Woods, and there was no thing in the woods, you'd be pissed. Thank God these actors get other stuff outside of it. Like, thank God Fluid's tuning in at Midsommar. She got Black Widow. Next up, the second trailer for The Night House, a horror flick starring Rebecca Hall, comes out August 20th. I'm not sure about this. Uh, I get, like, separation vibes. You know, kind of the typical Hollywood ghost movie. Uh, See, I'm actually really up for this because of the director. David Bruckner, he's done The Ritual on Netflix, which if you haven't seen that, is a fucking brilliant movie. Um, He has contributed to the VHS franchise with some of the best segments. Um, This guy is actually a really good name in horror. He's the one currently working on the Hellraiser uh, reboot. Like, the guy knows his horror. Like, he's an actual name I really, really like. And he's the one directing this. And I've heard early reviews for this film have been beyond positive. It's been getting some high praise. So I, I personally, that's, that's high praise. Uh, I'm personally really excited for this. I like Rebecca Hall a lot. I always enjoy when I see her in, um, in the horror stuff. So I'm, I'm personally down for this movie. It, it's intrigued me since that first trailer came out, and I'm, I want to see it. All right. I take it back. I am willing to give this one a chance. I didn't know all that. I was going by simply the trailer and – my relative disappointment of horror films this year so far. Yeah, no, uh, this the, the person directing, I mean, he's, uh, like I said, the ritual, the first two VHSs, he's coming back to the VHS franchise for VHS 94, which if I don't think I told you is supposed to be coming to Shutter this fall greatness. for any fans. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a really good talent involved with this um i know he has some other stuff that i'm not remembering off the top of my head i have to look it up but well cool i'm i hope it works out i'm I'm looking forward to this now next up the second trailer for ghostbusters afterlife which comes out november 11th uh could not be more excited for this jason reitman you know taking the torch away from ivan reitman to do his own spin on ghostbusters bringing back the most of the original cast this looks like it's going to be so much fun. Yeah, I actually got when I when it came out. I got, I watched this thing online. With people like this, these YouTubers were shitting on. They're like, here's the trailer even for him. I'm like, shut up. I'm like, I actually like that the trailer wasn't super fan servicey. Like that's what they were bitching about. Like it didn't play the theme song. It didn't do all the stuff. I'm like, no, I like that. It didn't do all that. Yeah, it means I can look forward to that shit in the movie. 
Yeah, it's like it's saving you for the movie because it's very aware of what it is. Like it's, it's called Ghostbusters. Like the movie already knows. Like if you're Ghostbusters fans, your eyes on this movie. Um, and they're being smart and just saying like, you know, because again, it's not meant to be the the original team, right? It's the idea behind this is we're getting a new team, these kids. Yeah. So yeah, it's not going to be the same. You're not going to get all the iconic elements because, like I said, save it for the movie. Give me the song when I see the movie, not when I listen to the trailer. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, Dan Aykroyd answering the phone at Ray's Occult, that was enough for me. That was that made me really excited. Yeah. The little mini Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. I mean, this they clearly are making this for the fans who, you know, got burned with the shitty reboot from a few years ago. Like, right. This is, yeah. this the is one the, that, the Ghostbusters movie we wanted. Yeah. The one that uh, I think one actress was complaining that because it's females, it flopped. Yeah, you can't keep pulling that one out of your ass. It's not going to fly every single time. No, it's no, it's because no one won your movie. That's that's it. Just no one. I mean, look at Captain Marvel, look at Wonder Woman, billion dollar grocers there. So it ain't women. It's the shitty movie these women are in. Yeah. Look at the director, Paul uh, Fag, uh, Paul Fag, Fag, Fag. I don't. How do you say his name? Last name? I think it's Fig. Is it Fig? Paul Fig. I was, wondering, I was I kept thinking Feige. I was like, no, not Feige. Feig. We'll say Feig. But I mean, look at his prior movies with The Heat and uh, Bridesmaids. Those were huge successes. Female lead. So yeah, no, it's not because of females. It's because I don't want to see your fucking Ghostbusters movie. Yeah, it's because you didn't see Ghostbusters and you didn't give a fuck. <laughs> so there it is. Could have been anybody. Could have been all men. It still would have been the same disaster. Yeah. So, no, this one looks good. And, you know, you said Jason Reitman taking the torch from Ivan. That's so cool. Things that this is the son taking the torch from his father to do continue this franchise. So that's another cool aspect. I know, again, those YouTubers are bitching about uh, Paul Rudd had no funny lines in the trailer. Okay, and What is with these people? Why are you, why are you starting shit? Why are you making up problems? <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, Anne, so shut the fuck up. It's a fucking, it, it's a, the Ghostbusters news I've been waiting for since last year. Okay, I'm excited for the new Ghostbusters. This is Ghostbusters 3. I've been waiting for this shit since 1989, and that is saying something because I was born in 1995. So, yeah, bring it on. Yeah. I mean, and look, let's not forget that this script wasn't thrown out by Bill Murray, so clearly he, there was something in it that he liked as well. I do think Bill Murray is on board because he feels bad that he never got to make things right with Harold Ramis before he died. I think that's a big part of why Bill Murray's involved. But the fact that they are all involved is so, so cool. Yeah. And I mean, especially like Sigourney Weaver and Annie Potts are even involved. Like, they couldn't get Rick Moranis, but I am holding out hope that he's got a cameo or something. Right. That they got him secretly. I know, isn't he coming out of retirement for some movie? Yeah, he's going to be in the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids reboot. Okay. And he agreed to that, but not the new... Okay. I know. We'll, we'll take what we can get. <laughs> um, next up, John and the Hole, an IFC psychological thriller about a disturbed child who traps his family in a hole in the ground. Uh, comes out uh, this week, August 6th. Trailer just got dropped a couple days ago. And this looks creepy. About a kid who's like clearly dealing with some mental problems, finds a hole in, in his backyard and just traps his family in there and won't let them out. And they're starting to realize, oh shit, our, our son is crazy. 
and uh, stars Michael C. Hall, Dexter. So I'm I'm on board. Okay, I'm on board. I like IFC now. IFC talk about independent companies. They need to be talked about more because they actually do do a variety in the horror genre. IFC guys, they'll do something like this, John the whole, and then something like the Autopsy of Jane Doe. Like they're usually a pretty consistent horror company. Our genre company, they do a little bit of everything. Do you ever see that TV show they did, Stand Against Evil? I heard about it. I heard it's good. I just haven't seen it. I love John C. McGinley. I just I didn't watch it because it looked like such a blatant ripoff of Ash vs. Evil Dead. But you know, now before. that we've gotten some time to breathe, maybe I'll check it out. Yeah, well, I think it came out before Ash vs. Evil Dead. No, they came out around like the same time. Okay. Yeah. I heard good things. I know a lot of people like it. Well, I'm John in the hole. I don't know how I'm going to be able to see this. It doesn't seem like it's going to get a theater release. IFC, IFC films very rarely get theater releases. Usually it's like straight to DVD, Blu-ray, streaming services. Well, here's hoping because I do want to see this. Sorry. Tired night. Um, next up, King Richard, which stars Will Smith as tennis coach Richard Williams, father of tennis superstars Venus and Serena Williams. Comes out November 19th, and this looks like very blatant Oscar bait, but I don't care. It looks very touching, and I love that they released the trailer in the middle of the Olympics because, of course, uh, yeah. I'm on board. Will Smith needs a comeback hit big time. He's been trying, man. I mean, you know, so like he's been trying very hard for a comeback hit. I would argue Bad Boys for Life gave him a boost because I actually really like Bad Boys for Life. I know it was a huge success. Yeah. But, yeah, he. I mean, he tried with what? He tried with Suicide Squad, and he got good reviews, but the movie didn't do so great. He tried a couple other times. Gemini Man, like he, that poor guy's been trying for a while here. Um, King Richard, yeah, you know, it looks like very much Oscar bait, you know, and it looks kind of like along the vein of like you know his Pursuit of Happiness and Seven Pounds type of films. Um, but I'll, I'll check it out. It looks like he's going to do a hell of a performance. Um, I don't like the title. I really wish they had just called it Richard. Yeah, King Richard. I did think this was like a Crusades movie until I saw the preview. <laughs> it, I still think I know where it is. And anytime I see, oh, King Richard, I keep thinking the king. I'm like, drop King. Just drop King. <laughs> well, I've been calling it King Dick for short. And uh, that, that makes me, that helps me remember it's not a Crusades movie. <laughs> Unless there was a king called King Dick back in the day. <laughs> king Richard the Lionheart. Old Lion Dick. It's a good king. Forgot what I was talking about. First up, all right, so finally we've got, and I'm so excited for this, House of Gucci, uh, which stars Lady Gaga, Adam Driver, Jared Leto, Jeremy Irons, Salma Hayek, and Al Pacino as the most powerful family in fashion history. Directed by Ridley Scott, comes out November 24th. And this looks fucking fantastic. Yeah, unlike the last duel somehow, this is the really Scott film I'm looking forward to. Like, I saw that trailer and I was like, not my usual type of movie, but fuck, this looks good. It's like the cast looks good. Fucking, uh, what's his name? Jared Leto looks unrecognizable. Holy fuck. I, I, I thought Lady Gaga was really good in A Star is Born, and I'm excited to see that she's about to embark on a, what seems to be a very successful film career. Uh, probably going to win an Oscar, if not for this, if you know, for something else later in the future. But this looks very intriguing, very uh, larger than life. Definitely going to make a splash at the Oscars. 
that little bit where she does the sign of the cross and she says father son and house of gucci like did you not get chills yeah i did yeah dude i'm with you i really and it's funny because star was born i really delayed on watching so just did not i was like this is not my type of movie you know the type of movies i like to watch yeah i was like this is probably not something i really enjoy i watched it on a whim finally when i was like let me just see what everybody's talking about and yeah she besides me actually really enjoying that movie uh her both her and bradley cooper are like phenomenal in that movie especially her she does such a good job so seeing her continue and now she's doing work with Ridley Scott, like, and it looks like she's going to even blow it more out of the water than she did in a Star Wars one. Like, I'm, I'm in. Like, I'm in for this like Lady Gaga acting career that she's doing. I think it's pretty bitching. We're getting three Adam Driver movies this fall. I mean, we're getting House of Gucci, The Last Duel, and Annette. So he he really really wants to win an Oscar. Okay, stock is right. I guess he's really trying to make up for Star Wars. I don't know when. <laughs> I don't blame him, uh, but it, he seems to be following a similar career path to Harrison Ford post Star Wars. You know, there's always one person from these trilogies that becomes so much more successful than everybody else. In this case, it's Adam Driver. And yeah. uh, I'm excited to see what he's done. I mean, he's already proven to be just a fantastic actor and a real powerhouse for the next generation of Hollywood stars. And uh, this is just going to add to his impressive resume. Yeah, um, I'm excited. It's funny that he's doing two Ridley Scott films in one year. It's crazy that Ridley Scott's doing two like giant, like career-spanning epics in his like this year. It's, I don't know if he's making up for lost time or what. He has to make up for that Alien Covenant that happened. <laughs> I didn't think it was that bad, Alien Covenant. I didn't think it was that bad, but I also would not put up there my favorite Alien films. Well, there's only like two good ones. Exactly. <laughs> favorite alien films come on <laughs> Look, alien, aliens and the rest can go fuck themselves i mean resurrection is just a masterpiece of filmmaking the only part that is just really cool is when sigourney straight up you know dunks that basket just to, or not dunks but like sinks the basket my mistake like throws it over her head on like the fourth or fifth take that's that's impressive. She really did that shit. And I love that Ron Perlman almost fucked it up of being like, wow. <laughs> they had to cut away real fast because he was like, damn. <laughs> Completely out of character because he didn't think she could do it. <laughs> anyway, Alien. So those are all the trailers. Uh, a lot of stuff coming out this fall. What would you say for the fall you're uh, most excited to see? Halloween Kills. Yeah, I figured you'd go in there. <laughs> Yeah, I know it's funny. All these like deep epic films. What are you looking for, Caleb? Oh, Halloween Kills. Excuse me, Michael killing people. It's like that, and then Jackass Forever. My my top three, as it stands, are No Time to Die, uh, Halloween Kills, and The Many Saints of Newark. I'm so psyched for that. Okay, for me, yeah, I'd say Halloween Kills, Jackass Forever. And as of now, I'm still going to say Antlers. You know, wait. Is there a tie between Antlers or Last Night in Soho? I got to wait for a new Antlers trailer to come out for me to repeak my interest. Nah, I know what you mean. Let's get into some casting news. Uh, Bridgerton star Reggae Jean Page is the latest star to take the lead role of the Saint reboot. 
I don't know why Paramount is banking so heavily on the Saint. Nobody cared in the 90s. Nobody cares now. <laughs> doesn't matter who you attach to this thing. Nobody gives a shit. <laughs> I'll be there just to prove them wrong. <laughs> well, Jean Page is like the fourth or fifth actor they've attached to this. It was like, you know, Clooney, Adam Driver, like a lot of people keep almost doing this and backing out. So I don't think he's going to stay. <laughs> Probably not. Um, Tiffany Haddish and Lakeith Stanfield are in talks to star in Disney's Haunted Mansion remake. Uh, that's cool. That's They're both really interesting people, really cool actors. Uh, I just don't really have a lot of faith in Disney's Haunted Mansion remake in general. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll say when I believe it, but as we'll discuss with Jungle Cruise, like... Until they finally do something different and start trying to chase the, the, the formula of pirates and just try to do something in relation to the goddamn ride, which is exactly what pirates did, I'll be down. Well, to be fair, it's kind of what Jungle Cruise did also. What? Pretty much follow the plot to pirates? Well, to the ride. Yeah, that's why I liked it better. Oh. Well, Haunted Mansion, isn't it just like a fucking haunted house? How do you make a story out of that? I don't know. How did they make a story about pirates? Let's be honest here. They made a franchise out of that one, for Christ's sakes. They made a franchise out of the impressive cast and characters they had. That That's what helped. But, you know, Haunted Mansion, again, doesn't have the franchise potential that Disney seems to think it does. Uh, but we'll see. Maybe this will be hilarious. Well, it, it will when you said well, when you said the franchise was with the cast of characters, so they can get a good cast to play characters we all like. And yeah, we can get a franchise out of it. That's the key here. That's why I think Jungle Cruise could get a franchise because it has a good cast. But we'll get into that when we talk about Jungle Cruise. True. Um, this was cool. J.K. Simmons is in early talks to reprise his role as Commissioner Gordon for the upcoming Batgirl movie. Uh, yes. <laughs> I like I say I like how when JK Simmons gets a role in some like superhero film, like he's not ever gonna not play that role. Like Marvel's like we want you to keep playing uh Jay Jonah. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then like he gets Commissioner Gore and DC's like, do you want to keep playing this character? <laughs> well, DC's it's so their continuity is so fucked up at this point, it doesn't matter. I mean, they could just, you know, bring Pat Hingle back from the dead. He's Gordon now. It, it doesn't matter. Just whatever they want. But I I thought Simmons was one of the, you know, guys who got the most shafted out of the DCEU. He only got to play Gordon once very briefly. And uh, I would like to see more. Yeah, even his role in, like, the uh, the Snyder Cut was not that significant. No, he was clearly going to be used more in the future if there was a future and there was, there was not a future. <laughs> Uh, and then finally, this sucks and sets a very dangerous precedent. Clifford the Big Red Dog has been pulled from its September release date over concerns about the COVID-19 Delta variants. Uh, hopefully not the first of many, but I do remember saying this exact thing about No Time to Die a year ago. <laughs> so yeah. I don't fucking know. This one's tough because uh, like, if you look, there's been a lot more pushback on like this variant as far as like shutting stuff down like i i've seen a lot more pushback on like really like 
almost a general consensus, like we really do not want to shut things down again. So I don't know if like this is just the CEO preemptively getting like scared and the going to be like, no, fuck you, we're staying as long as the theaters stay open. I mean, uh, it could very much just be, you know, Paramount wants to put it on Paramount Plus or something. It could be and, that. And like, that's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing, too, is that Paramount's been like this all year. Like, I think Mission Impossible is how many times has the new one fucking changed its release date and Top Gun 2? Yeah. So, and then, like, what is it? They just randomly, out of the blue, the new Paranormal Activity movie just got taken off the schedule. Like, oh, I didn't hear that. Yeah, they just took it off the schedule with no explanation and not even like clarifying if it's going to come out on Paramount Plus, even though that seems to be what they're doing because they're still talking about it. Like, yeah, we can't wait for you guys to see it. It's completed. We should know when we're releasing it. So it's like, I don't know if it's necessarily like going to present or this is just Paramount being weird with their schedule. Um, All the articles I found say it's about the Delta variant, but it couldn't, it could very well be something else. It could be just Paramount's being finicky about the release dates they want this one to go to paramount plus or there you know they want to finish designing clifford or some shit it could just be them getting cold feet on some other issue yeah because i have yet to see anything else move like everything else is full steam ahead because like i said i haven't there's been there's been more pushback it seems on clothes and stuff i know the mask mandates are coming back but that's all i've been hearing is mask mandates coming back well, I'm. I want to be optimistic, but it is really fucking hard these days to be optimistic. Yeah, I'll start getting worried when I see other companies that aren't Paramount. Like the moment I see like Halloween Kills or um, Last Night So stuff like that, I'll be like, ah, oh, shit. Jesus, I don't care. Like what I have to do, I I'm gonna see No Time to Die this year. I'm seeing that movie this year. I don't care what I have to do. I don't care who I have to do. I'm seeing this fucking movie. I've waited too long. It's all I want. You know, Daniel Craig's like probably just really happy. Like, ah, uh-huh, yes. Take your time releasing this movie. If James Bond's in limbo forever, he doesn't have to do any goddamn press and he doesn't have to do another movie. It's all bugs. he wants. It bugs the show me when actors like thinking about this, like with Daniel Craig, like they get, they accept these roles. Like, that's the key. They say yes to these roles. And then bitch about it for fucking ever. I'm like, I am so sorry that you said yes. And not just, Daniel Craig said yes five times. (laughs) So shut up. Yeah, it's like, dude, I'm sorry that you accepted this role and you're making millions off it and you can afford to live in your fucking mansion with your servants and whatever fancy car you got and whatever you need to do to keep Rachel Race happy. Like... I feel like that's a lot. It's probably a lot. So it's like, no, I don't I don't have sympathy for your fucking issue that you easily could have said no to and accepted another movie. You know, I feel I have similar thoughts about uh, we didn't I wasn't planning on bringing this up, but fuck it, here we are. Uh Scarlett Johansson's lawsuit against Disney that's ongoing right now. She only got twenty million dollars from the film, and I'm like, oh boo-hoo. <laughs> you can't you only made 20 million oh my god how will you feed your kids 
but I do get that she got screwed out of her contract, and yeah, Disney's being really fucking assholes about it. I, but also, yeah. I can't sympathize with anybody making twenty million dollars. Yeah, like on one hand, I'm I'm the same way. Like, I understand why she's doing this. Like, it was a breach of contract, so by legal standing, she can go do what she's doing. Yeah, but at the same time, like, oh, you didn't get like you got this much. You just didn't get this much. It's still in the millions. Boo hoo! Like, you know what it reminds me of? Sorry. That SpongeBob episode where they go on the run because they think they stole a balloon, and Patrick eats his candy bar and forgets about it, and then thinks SpongeBob has his candy bar, and he goes like, "You took my only food! Now I'm gonna starve!" And the camera pans down, and he's like, got a huge fat gut. <laughs> That's kind of the vibe here. Like, you took my money. How can I, like? You got $20 million. You can't you can't handle your expenses with $20 million. What are you doing? Anyway, and then Emma Stone suing them over Corella, probably. So I feel like this is gonna be uh this premier access thing is really gonna bite them in the ass. I'm wondering if Dwayne Johnson or Emily Blunt's gonna go after them for jungle cruise. God. Probably if because honestly, I I am so dead set against that fucking $30, $30 paywall. I'm like Look at HBO Max. Like none of their films have been flopping at the box office, and they release in theaters. And they release in theaters in HBO Max, but because they don't charge you, so yeah, it's there. But you can still go to the theater and see. Like Godzilla vs Kong was a huge hit. Mortal Kombat was a huge hit. Like still coming out with huge hits. I'm sure Suicide Squad be the same thing. So like Disney, clearly your thirty dollar paywall is affecting them somehow. Like this, this is gonna problem. be. Is this going to be the first time DC defeats Marvel at the box office? Oh, my God. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, my God. Honestly, uh, I've seen the early reviews, and they are fucking pop praising Suicide Squad. I love it. I've seen, like, I've heard one, buddy, one person said that uh, this is the best DC movie since The Dark Knight, which is beautiful. I've heard Edgar Wright came out and said, like, this is a masterpiece. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah like oh my god i've got nothing but faith in james gunn yeah unlike marvel we have nothing but faith in james gunn unlike disney marvel like or, wanted him disney's like bye okay sorry unlike disney i've learned to blame the parent companies don't yeah don't hate the player hate the game yeah, I'm about to say, in all fairness, Marvel even had the back of um, Johansson. Feige was like, no, we, we support her because they did breach her contract. Although I got to say, it's a dangerous career move to go after the House of Mouse. It is, but I mean, if Emma Stone's going to do it and then this is a president, maybe the key to going after the House of Mouse is quantity. Yeah, but... Does this mean Emma Stone's going to be booted from Corella too? Because they don't want to deal with her. That's, but that would be a bad PR move on them. See, what's interesting is that you got to remember. You have to remember if they boot her because of a lawsuit that she has every legal right to pursue. That does look bad on them. True, but that's what is Disney really going to lose if they like have some bad press? This is Disney. Yeah, but I don't think they're going to risk that because look at the praise that she got for Corella. Like even the people that did not like Corella praised Emma Stone. It is just weird when you know you don't see a lot of you don't see people sue Disney successfully a lot. No, 
And no, and I'm just saying, like, look, bad press is bad press. Even Disney doesn't want it. Like, I know they probably don't care, but they don't want it. I mean, we get into it with John Cruise with a certain character, but the fact that they have been going so blatantly, like, look, we have female empowerment. We got gay characters now. Look, look, we're we're doing what you want. We're giving you that diversity, and they're shoving it into everything. Tells me that they don't want to like. They would not pursue booting her out of a movie because of this. Well, I hope you're right. That would look bad on them. And they're trying everything in their power to look good for the fucking people right now. So before we get into Jungle Cruise, let's talk about our other two movies. Uh, You didn't get a chance to see these films. Um, I did. And uh, I don't, you're not missing much, to be honest. Um, First up, Stillwater. Uh, Tom McCarthy, Oscar-winning filmmaker behind Spotlight, uh, helms this one, which uh, Amanda Knox recently came out, uh, came out and said that uh, ripped off her life story. And honestly, if I were Amanda Knox, I'd stay the fuck out of the spotlight right about now. But isn't this movie about Amanda Knox? Not in, not in name. It, it shares a lot of similarities. They're, they're, the filmmakers are kind of saying like, oh, we didn't mean for that to happen, but you watch it and you're like, uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> um, Matt Damon plays Bill Baker, a oil man, you know, tough, tough guy from uh, Stillwater, Oklahoma, whose daughter is uh, arrested for murder in France and imprisoned. Uh, and I could spoil. I might spoil. Are you going to see this? I'm not rushing to see it, so... Do you want it? Should I say whether or not Abigail Breslin is guilty or not? She ends up being guilty, doesn't she? Yeah, she fucking did it. Yeah. Well, I just spoiled it myself because I could tell by watching the trailer, I was like, she probably ended up doing it. Because the trailer... Like, Good. The trailer sets it up to where, like, clearly the movie's going on where she did it, Matt Damon proves shit, and he's going to end up redeeming himself with the foreign family that he... Is connecting with. Am I off the mark here at all? Damn. Well done. <laughs> um, that's pretty on point. Um, he does fuck up his relationship with a foreign family because um, he straight up kidnaps. Towards the end or like halfway through? He... Hmm? I was like, towards the end of the movie, does he fuck it up? Or like halfway through, so they're still redeeming it to be done at the end? Towards the end. Uh, oh, okay. So what happens is... Abigail Breslin is is uh, insisting this guy she met uh, stole her purse and then broke into the apartment and killed the roommate. And everyone's like, that's horseshit. But Matt Damon's like, she's my daughter. And uh, he decides to pursue the lead himself since her lawyer said, this is nonsense. I'm not pursuing this. Uh, so what he does is finds the kid and uh, towards the middle of the movie uh, fucking kidnaps him and locks him in the basement of this uh, apartment complex he's been staying at with the girl and her daughter, who he starts becoming kind of like a father figure to her. And that's very touching. It's a very nice part of the movie. Um, He gets a DNA test done with a private eye cop. Huh. It just occurred to me, that kid fucking disappeared halfway through the movie. We never saw him again. Huh. All right. That's not a good, that's a bad. Anyway. Uh, what 
the cops find out that he had a kid in the basement, but the kid's gone, so there's nothing to prove it to. But the the French woman's like, is this true? Did you have my kid lie to the cops? And he's like, yeah. And so she kicks his ass out. And uh, this new DNA exonerates Abigail Breslin. They go home to Stillwater. And then he confronts her with a detail. And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean for her to end up dead. And it's a whole moment where she reveals that she hired the guy to scare the roommate to get her out of the apartment, but the guy went nuts and killed her. But it's still Abigail Breslin's fault, and she's a pretty irredeemable bitch the whole movie. She's a pretty bad person. She's, you know, calling her dad a fuck-up despite the fact that he's the only one who believes her, the only one who's standing by her, who's flying from Oklahoma to, to France every two or three weeks to, like, do her laundry and talk to her. And yeah, it's pretty, yeah, it's, she's, she's a sociopath, but the positives, um, Matt Damon and Abigail Breslin were fantastic. They were great. Uh, it's a very interesting story. It doesn't go in every direction you think it's going to go. It dodges a lot of cliches, um, which I appreciated. And it says a lot about America's kind of, you know, how Americans are viewed overseas and vice versa. So I gave it an eight. I really, I, I did like it. It's a little too long, almost two and a half hours, which was unnecessary. And I didn't know that when I went to see it. Yeah, I, I'll get to it at some point. But like I was saying before we recorded, I got I'm finishing up Invincible, or I guess I'm I'm watching Invincible. I can't say finishing up an eight episode season. I'm on episode three currently. Um, um but I'm watching that, and once I'm done with that, my intention is going to be like uh, catch up on the movies I missed out on because of deployment, and obviously my game collection. Um, maybe get through Resident Evil Village a little quicker here. Um, so, but and because of that, I probably won't rush it. There's a lot more interesting movies that I'm dying to watch, like Freaky, Unhinged, uh, Any Extraction, things like that. Um, Boss Level that's on my radar because you were t- you've been praising that to me. Um, but well, I give this, I'll give it a chance one day. I mean, I like Matt Damon a lot, like the rest of America does. Um, yet another movie where you just shouldn't fucking travel with this guy. Yeah, don't travel, Matt Damon. You mentioned something in your review that kind of sh- like this movie sheds light on like how we view foreign countries and how they view us. Like, how does it do that specifically? But so I'm well, curious on that. I'm curious on seeing more movies that actually show how we are viewed. Well, everyone's always asking Matt Damon, like. Did you vote for Trump? Do you own a gun? Like they see him, you know, Trumpers are kind of what Americans are seen as across the country. I mean, across the world. And Matt Damon points out, like, I didn't vote for Trump because I can't vote. I'm a felon. And but he still owns guns, which is interesting. But yeah, you're not supposed to own guns if you're a convicted felon. And he 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 doesn't speak French at first, you know, and he gets kind of belligerent at people when he, you know, they won't help him because he doesn't speak French. But then over the course of the film, he's there for like four or five months. He learns French phrases. He learns how to take, you know, handle himself in this culture. He learns how to blend in. And on the other side of it, you know, he goes home and suddenly the world, he says the world, like the last uh, words of the movie are Abigail Breslin sitting on the porch with him. And she goes, it looks, you know, nothing looks like nothing changed here. Did it? And he goes, no, it looks completely different to me now. And it was interesting. I think more Americans need to travel abroad just to understand their place in the world. 
that well, will not be center of the world. It's important to know that. Yeah, well, that's why I've been telling uh, telling you with like I know like your slightly pessimistic view currently. I won't but, lie. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I always told people like, and no, because I'm with you. Like, the reason I at the end day would stay in America is because of my travel with the Navy and other countries I've been to. Like, uh, I know on my end, I've been to India, Dubai, and Bahrain. Have been the three big places I've been to. Um, and after being to those places, yeah, I'd rather say, I mean, I've, I've experienced the board where like women are very much lower class. Um, you know, and you can't, you can't look at them or else there's fear of getting stoned to death. You can't openly be uh, gay or lesbian or any of that stuff. But uh, again, getting stoned to death, they believe in law vigilante in those countries. So, um, yeah, I, that, that line, not, that line would resonate with me as well. Cause yeah, it's, you come back from that um, to America and yeah, it's a different war. Like it just feels different. Like you see, like you see a little bit more of the bad in, the, in our own country, but at the same time you see the good a little bit more. Like the fact that, you know, we, you know, you can be gay and, you know, and out and proud. And there's no, unless there's like some bigot around you, right. There's no fear of like mob mentality kicking in and killing you for it. Right. Or, you know, women being so, lower class than men like they're in some countries so I, I get what you mean with that line definitely also i mean there's you know that's not our only options it's not you know america and then stoned to death in the middle east i mean there's a lot of middle yeah, ground I, yeah i know there's better countries out there I, i've actually been dying to go to europe one day myself so hopefully when the rona calms down at some point i can go there personally i've been to the uk ireland and uh jamaica those are the countries i've been to i don't count like i went on a cruise a couple times and we were only there for like three two hours um mm-hmm. those are the three countries i've got to experience and uh there's just something so wholesome about certain places in the world like england especially walking around london it was so clean it was a city that didn't smell like shit which was nice every major city i've been to in america smelled like sewage Dude, I'm a small town guy. I'm not a city guy. Oh, me too, man. I could live in London. It was nice. It was it had it was a city with the vibe of a small town. People were very very nice. Anyone I asked for help or something was very like quick to like, oh yeah, of course. What do you need? Very nice. And I just I felt like I could I could I could live there. Mm-hmm. Same with uh, Edinburgh, Scotland, and Dublin, Ireland. Like ma- major cities, I really liked. And uh, Jamaica just had this kind of like you know, cheer about it. Like it, they were poor, but they were like not letting it bother them. It was a weird thing. Like they just embraced their, their, I know why. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I'll say they're stone out their minds all the time there. Not everybody, like not everybody's a Rastafarian. A lot, a lot of them are, but it was a nice experience too. And uh, I just, I like world travel. Oh fuck. I forgot my dumbass. I was, I was in Colombia for a week. I completely forgot about that one. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying like on my end, the two extremes, just like what I've been to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just again, I'm just trying to highlight the point. Like, yeah, like with that line, yeah, it's like you go to these countries and you come back, and it's like, like I said, you kind of see the bad a little bit more in America, but you see the good also a little bit more. It's like a weird thing that kind of happens. Well, I think like, what you do is you no longer see America as the center of the universe. You see it as just another country, and that's important. We need to remember that America is not king of the world. We're just, you know, another part of it. And 
that world travel is crucial to understanding that about any country you're from. Any anybody who believes their country is the greatest on earth needs to go to another one. Yeah, yeah. That's why, like, if I ultimately had to like go out to sea every year of my life in the Navy, uh, I would try to stay East Coast in the sense that they go to European countries, and I'm dying to go to some European countries. Yeah, I think my family's planning a big old uh, Germany trip next year, provided we can travel internationally again. Uh, so hopefully I'll be able to experience uh, Germany. And then from there, we take trains to France, Italy, all over the fucking place. It's great. Dude, I, I'm terrified to go to France because of my last name, right? Because <laughs> God bless some Frenchman. Here's my last name. Mm-hmm. And just starts talking French, thinking... I can fucking do it. And he's like, oh, je ne sais pas, and I'll be like, dude, I was born in East Texas. Like, <laughs> his name's more Cajun than French. And I know for a fact, Cajun was a dirty uh, word for you French people. It was an insult. <laughs> <laughs> Throw a D in there and just call yourself Ledger for a little bit. <laughs> Say you're Heath Ledger's second cousin or some shit. Just to throw them off. <laughs> Oh, boy. So with that, let's go into the Green Knight. Uh, For those of you who listened to this show, uh, we did say that was going to be the primary focus of today's episode. And I saw it and thought, not again. (laughs) So to have some fun, we decided to change it to Jungle Cruise. And I do think that was a good move. Uh, the Green Knight was such a promising film uh, based on the Arthurian legend of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. A really cool story about honesty and deception. And David Lowry took that and sucked all the joy and honorable, honorable lessons out of it to make a fairly coherent tale that basically amounts to, well, what's the real lesson here? Uh, don't cut the head off a guy who blatantly tells you the rules of the game. <laughs> uh, the Green Knight. The best thing about this film are the performances. Dev Patel and Ralph Ineson especially are fucking phenomenal. Uh, Ralph Ineson plays the Green Knight and he is spectacular, but barely in it. Like a bit at the beginning, a bit at the end. Uh, Of course, one could argue that the Green Knight is Gawain himself. Green as in young and inexperienced. Oh, oh, that deep, meaningful title is coming into fucking force. There's a scene where he eats a handful of shrooms and just sees a whole bunch of howling giants. (sighs) And a talking fox. There's so many... Uh, like side quests in this movie that don't need to be there, that are just there to pad the runtime. They don't add in, they don't lead into anything. There's no, like, there's a whole scene where Alicia Vikander jerks him off in a castle to prove to him, like, hey, you're not a knight. A knight would never let me do this. (laughs) It's such an odd scene. A knight would never let a beautiful woman touch his erect penis. And jerk him off. Okay, yeah, you're right. I'm not a knight then. Felicia, if you can't do that, maybe like, yeah, you're right. Just keep going. Don't stop. <laughs> well, also, it's heavily implied that he's gay. He he can't hold an erection with a woman. 
unless he has this magic belt that immediately makes him stand at attention. This is a real thing in the movie. Why is this a part of the plot line? I also heard like the review. I read the review on IGN. They really reference how sexualized like Alicia Vikander's character is for some reason. Like I was like, is this a significant chunk of the movie or something that? Yes. Warranted talking about like she's overly sexual or something. So about halfway through, um, Gawain ends up at this castle where Joel Edgerton is lord of the castle. He's like. Come, my friend, sit at my table and ye shall be married. Tis almost Christmas. It's a whole thing. And um, his wife is Alicia Vikander, and she is just like, you know, I, she's eye humping him the whole time. And he is a knight, and a knight is above such things. Chivalry. And um, eventually she goes into his bed, into his room, and gives him this magic belt that his mother had given him earlier, but then had been stolen by bandits. His mom's a witch. And uh, it's implied Lisa Vikander's a witch as well and gives him the same belt and puts it on. And all of a sudden, yep. And then she jerks him off and he's, and then he's like, you're not a knight. <laughs> and then walks out. But now he's got this magic belt. It's... The story, the actual story is so much more, like the, the green knight is revealed to be like a, transformed knight of the round table who's been transformed by Morgan Le Fay and was never actually going to hurt Gawain. It was all a lesson in honesty and all that's gone from the movie. Isn't, I heard something like they were saying like Morgan Le Fay is very much like Dev Patel's mom, but they just don't fucking say it in the movie. Yes. They never called Sean Harris Arthur either. But he's pretty much Arthur. Yeah, he's Arthur. And like he gives Gawain his sword to fight the Green Knight. And there's this quiet reverence about it. And of course, all the Arthur fans are like, Excalibur. But everyone else is like, why? What's with the sword? <laughs> like, if you don't know this is a King Arthur movie and they never fucking tell you, you're going to be pretty lost. What's the point in not just embracing the fact that this is a King Arthur tale? I don't know. They do this shit all the time. They've never gotten King Arthur right. Except one time in 98, and that was a miniseries, and I bring that up in my review. But every other time they tried to, like, dance around it or do their own spin or just, I don't know. I don't get it. King Arthur, Robin Hood, and Peter Pan. Never done right. And and with that said, how is it in a King Arthur adjacent tell, right? It's technically, you know, uh, Gawain? Gawain? Gawain. Gawain. There we go. Is there a scene where Laura Croft jerks them off? I'm so trying to get over that. Like, this is Laura Croft. Like, I really personally like the 2018 Tomb Raider movie. Like, yeah. Uh, well, okay. This should not get enough sexual material in like a PG 13 Tomb Raider. She needs like to jerk someone off. Like, what's what's going on here? Oh, there's a close up of the jizz on the belt. Like, they don't hold back on this shit. There's a lot. Yeah. We don't need it. She she's married to Fassbender, and we know for a fact, thanks to that movie Shame, she needs no other dick. Apparently, this is not a porno. This is a this is an art film. <laughs> like you're getting sounds, your wires crossed here. It sounds like a porno. She chokes it off. There's a close up with the fucking cum shot. No, not the shot. Just the the jizz on the actual belt. You don't see like you don't see any. You don't see him. My God. How did we get here? I'm just saying, like, they took out the details, but it is what you would see in a porno. 
Well, no, I feel like you'd see a lot. Oh, fuck. I'm, I'm, I'm moving us past this. Minus the belt. Imagine her face instead. Why would you do that? Why would you go there? Jesus Christ. Because uh, this is more entertaining than the movie we're talking about right now. Well, the next step is that immediately freaks him out. And he's like, I have to leave. He leaves. And then Joe Edgerton comes up, up, up like, you know, Adam in the woods and is like, why do you leave so early on your journey? And he's like, I don't know. I, I can't tell you. And he's like, you promised to give me what you received in that castle. And then kisses Deb Patel. And Deb Patel's like, unhand me, sir. So was Joe Edgerton about to jerk him off now? Like, what the I don't know. I don't know. This is a You're trying to tell me. You're trying to tell me this is not a pointer, but holy shit, this this like whole plot line just feel like one. There's about a half hour of this in the film. Like this is a good chunk of the movie. Uh, there's a whole thing with a headless ghost. And he's like, you have a head. And he's, she's like, it looks like it, but I don't. And like bandits fuck him up and steal all his stuff. And that never comes up again. There's so much, there's, he's King Arthur's nephew. And Arthur has no heir. So I guess Mordred never happened in this world. But there's a whole thing at the end. So the whole, all right. I should probably backtrack. I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> what happens is it's Christmas well, Day. Hmm? So let's get past the the hand job. It just was so jarring that I was like, is this really happening right? And I saw this with my grandpa, so I'm like, oh, great, wonderful. And uh, we're three for three, by the way. I took him to see Pig, Old, and The Green Knight, and he didn't like any of them. Dear God. Take him to go see The Suicide Squad or something. Jesus. He's not really a superhero movie fan. I'm waiting for like Draft House to do like a, you know, Frankenstein or some shit so I can give him something I know he'll like. Jesus. <laughs> anyway, uh, on Christmas Day, a green knight who is summoned by a witch who, yeah, is Morgan Le Fay, uh, Gawain's mother. Uh, I guess Gawain is Mordred. Huh. That seems unnecessary. And uh, the Green Knight comes to King Arthur's uh, round table and says, Great King, will you permit me to play a game? And Arthur, who is not at all uh, confused or freaked out by this tree man who just walked into his uh, Camelot, says, Sure. So that's what this shit's normal, but there's no establishment that it's normal. No, there's not. And uh, the game is... One, if any knight here lands a blow against the green knight, then the green knight shall lose the game. But one year hence, the knight shall go to the green chapel in the woods, find the green knight, and the green knight will deliver the same blow that was delivered to him to the knight. And that is the game. There's no stakes to to this game. There's no prize. And Gawain just walks right up to this motherfucker and having heard all the, all the rules, decapitates him. It was like, why don't just like take off his arm or something? Like something they can live without. Well, the whole thing is you're supposed to just tap him. And then a year later, he'll tap you and you'll have, you know, the Green Knight's blessing or some shit and you'll be able to brag about it. But this motherfucker just decapitates the Green Knight. The Green Knight picks up his head, goes one year hence leaves and now Gawain's living in fear and Arthur a year later is like you gotta go your honor's at stake and Gawain's like fuck honor like do I have to do this and he's like yeah you do I'm the king 
So the whole movie is Gawain on his way to go get his head cut off. <laughs> but let me guess, it ends ambiguous as fuck. It ends ambiguous as fuck after a life flash before my eyes scene that lasted a good half hour. What happens is Gawain decides, oh, I'm too scared. I don't want to get my head cut off. And he leaves and he goes back home and tells them that he vanquished the Green Knight. And then Arthur dies of old age since he has no heirs. Gawain is declared king. Uh, and then like we see like him raising his kid and marrying some French lady. And then he blinks and he's back at the woods having realized if I run, I will be a false king. And then he decides to take off the belt that would have protected him from magic, the jizz belt, which would have protected him from all harm. And the Green Knight's like, well done, my lad. Now off with your head. And the movie's over. <laughs> yeah. I don't, God, see, these, these endings are pissing me off. At first, it's like, all right, because you can look, you can say what you want, but like, the witch, like, the witch in Rarity had pretty clear-cut endings, right? I don't have a, I don't have any beef with an ambiguous ending. You just have to earn it. And yeah, that doesn't feel we didn't earn it. Like it, the way it sounds like the rules were set up, and the movie end where either you know he somehow beats the the Green Knight and becomes the actual king, or he gets his head cut off at the end. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's what we should have seen. Well, the story, the legend of Gawain and the Green Knight, ends with the Green Knight. Like all that happens, the he takes the belt off. And the Green Knight says, well done. And then taps Gawain on the head and says, like, I was never going to kill you, lad. I'm one of Arthur's knights turned, turned tree by Morgan Le Fay. And Gawain helps him find his way back and, you know, earns the tale, you know, earns Arthur and the knight's respect. That's the whole point of the story is be honest. Don't lie to your friends and, you know, help a, help a tree out when he needs your help. But the movie abandons all the life lessons and just gives you this visually stunning, but ultimately empty fantasy thriller. So seven, thanks to the performances and the uh, production design and visual effects. Like, I think this for sure is going to score some makeup, like a makeup nomination, production design nomination at the Oscars, maybe score, uh, I think Ralph Ennison should get a Best Supporting Actor nomination for playing the Green Knight. He was magnificent. So there are things to like about it. Just story-wise, this thing suffers. Okay. And also, you know, I guess, yeah. I guess that's what happens when they want to spend 30 minutes on the handjob scene. Dear God. It, well, it's the handjob scene itself is like five minutes long with the buildup to it and the aftermath is about a half hour. The five minutes is still too long for handjobs. Even pornos do not take that long in handjobs. Not that I would know. You're really holding on to the point to the hand job, aren't you? Really holding yeah. on to this one. Yeah. Really can't like get, really can't get your fingers off of this one, huh? No. Really trying to wrap my uh, my brain around it. You just can't quite grasp it, huh? No. <laughs> I'm done. It could be because it's Alicia Vikander. I think she's hot. So. Yeah, I think we all think she's hot. Uh. So the Green Knight, yeah, not at all what I expected. I thought, again, just like A24 does this all the time, misleading as fuck trailer. <laughs> That's, I, I don't like that either, A24. I feel like they have to trick us into seeing the movie. 
a lot of time. Yeah, I feel like it's getting too far. They know they know that audiences just don't care that much, so they're just tricking us into seeing the movie. It's infuriating. Well, that's still water in the green night. Um, still better than last week. <laughs> this is true. God, last week was. I have described to people like what makes old so awful and made them laugh in my description of it. <laughs> yeah, I've thought about it and just I keep picturing M. Knight's face on a dartboard and me just chucking darts at it at this point. I really don't like him anymore. I, I love to describe to people how the camera is in that scene. Like, I'll be like, imagine you're just a guy with a camera just standing in the middle of a group of people, a circle, if you will, and he just keeps spinning. <laughs> he just doesn't stop. Oh, that's great. Jungle Cruise, the big one, was supposed to come out in the summer of 2020, but the original COVID delayed it to July 2021. It's COVID based on the... Yeah. Yeah, now we're dealing with COVID-2, Judgment Day. Um, COVID-2, COVID harder. Oh, God. <laughs> COVID with a vengeance. Live free or COVID. <laughs> I won't, I'm, I'm not going to say it. It's not a good day to COVID. <laughs> good day to die, COVID. Jesus Christ. Oh, anyway. <laughs> you the sixth movie finally got officially canned. Just real quick. quick I believe note. you. I believe you. I don't think Bruce Willis is quite the box office draw he was in 1988. No. Yeah, I, I read this past week they finally were like, yeah, we're not moving forward with the sixth movie. That was supposed to be like a prequel and a sequel. So, Who's going to play young Bruce Willis? Yeah, they're going to have like a young Bruce like act, like an actor play a young Bruce Willis and then with a storyline I guess correlates to the present day Bruce Willis, but No. Just, yeah, considering his lack of uh any interest in performances? I'm okay with that. Yeah, now they're just going to reboot it in five years with Adam Driver. <laughs> you know what? If it's someone that brings life to that character, I'm fine with that. Because holy shit, does Bruce Willis just never look like he wants to be there anymore? I don't know why we can't just take Die Hard 1, 2, and 3 and go home and enjoy them. Why do we need more? We don't need more. Hey, I like to live for Die Hard. I would defend that movie. Oh, yippee uh, so Jungle Cruise is based on the popular ride at Disney World, and it is the latest in Disney's attempt to turn all of their rides into franchises after it worked so well with Pirates of the Caribbean. Didn't turn out so hot for the Haunted Mansion or Tomorrowland. We all forget that one. And if the numbers don't pick up, it might not turn out for Jungle Cruise either. Uh, the film is directed by Alme Colasera, who has also directed films such as Orphan, Unknown, The Shallows, Nonstop, Run All Night, and the commuter, and he is currently set to direct Black Adam with Dwayne Johnson once again. Uh, who is this guy, and how has he been making such high-profile stuff for so long? I've never heard this name before. Once this, half the films you named have been Liam Neeson action flicks. Uh, you also forgot he directed 2005's House of Wax, I believe. Oh yeah, his uh, debut actually as a director. Um, which is getting like a weird like cult following now. I think it's a lot to do with the whole like Paris Hilton death scene. <laughs> um, but uh, I I came to hit knowledge of him when I saw Orphan. I really like Orphan. That's a I think that's a really good movie. And I like The Shallows. Actually, I thought that was a pretty good movie. Minus the part where she goes to like back to Texas at the end of the movie, and it says Galveston, Texas, and the water's blue as fuck. And I'm like, you clearly <laughs> have not been to the Gulf. <laughs> at all. 
Oh, like that shit is blue, motherfucker. He's a pretty decent director. Um, clearly, he established a good relationship with Dwayne Johnson over this, and you know he, Johnson picked him for Black Adam. Uh, yeah, decent, decent film for him. Um, Dwayne Johnson stars as Frank, a riverboat captain with a heart of gold and a fondness for dad jokes. And uh, yeah, great character, Dwayne Johnson. This is our first time talking in depth about The Rock. Can uh, you smell what The Rock? He's cooking. Yeah, and in this movie, it's bullshit. <laughs> Pretty much the whole time. Yeah, I'm just glad I finally see that line. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't know what it is. Just Dwayne Johnson, I know we've spoken, or at least I have, on one of our shows about how, much, how I wanted a break from The Rock. But I got to say, I think the break's over. I, I like him a lot. He's just a very charismatic charming motherfucker it yeah it, it's hard for me to like he's one of the few cases where like i don't as soon as i think may have had enough of the rock i watch a movie like this i go no i think i can i can keep the rock because yeah he's just he's so charismatic and he he seems like a generally good guy like behind the camera um or you know off side of movies and it's just he's always a lot he's just always a lot of fun to watch he's the definition of like is he going to be winning any Oscars anytime soon? No. But is he going to give you a fun, joyful performance that will make you fall in love with his character? Absolutely. Almost every single time. You know what it is? He's... It's like... Well, in Lord of the Rings, when Gandalf the Grey died fighting the Balrog and Gandalf the White rose up in his place, it's like Bruce Willis sometime in the late 90s just lost the will to act and all of that charisma he once had like got absorbed into the rock and now we have this guy who like just inhabits like he's got this the the heart and soul of an 80s action star but with the like you know machismo and the physique physique. oh yeah dude he's like you know if rambo and rocky somehow got like smushed together in some weird Frankenstein experiment and we're like injected with like Samoan genes. We got the rock. Yeah. Well, I think that's another thing too. Like, you know, he has, he really, like you said, he has like a lot of 80s action star qualities about him. Yeah. Um, and I also like that he, he also has a lot of 90s qualities, like 90s horror quality characters about him that he's very self-aware of his, of, of himself. And he is no issues making jokes. Like for a long time now, he's constantly made jokes about his physique, his his personality, and a lot of his movies. Like that's been a running thing. So he's very aware of like what we view him as like a performer, as an as an actor. And he has no issues making fun of it and rolling with it, you know. And I that's something I really do appreciate a lot when I watch his stuff. He's a fun dude. And um, I like that he has really developed a impeccable comedic timing he's really really good at comedy and his chemistry with emily blunt was fantastic i really liked his character i was not expecting the uh very um dramatic and entertaining backstory of this character the whole francisco thing oh yeah yeah that wasn't good it kind of bogged me down a little bit for me kind of slowed down but i was like all right you're like almost you're like a little over two hours maybe come on 
I disagree. I love those scenes. I thought the use of Metallica's Nothing Else Matters was really cool. I thought that's what they were playing. I was like, yeah. I remember the movie, so I was like, I know this song. This is not an original piece of music. No, that was Metallica. And um, I thought it added to, like, it made this really sad. It made the the Conquistador's story really sad. And I was impressed with that. I thought using Count uh, Lopez de Aguirre was risky. I mean, that's a real character. Uh, he uh, was played by Klaus Kinski in the film Aguirre, The Wrath of God, 1972. He went mad in the Amazon looking for El Dorado. Uh, I might actually be related to him, which is pretty sweet. Uh, he's got a version of my name. Anyway, um, using him in the movie was interesting, uh, but it worked. And we'll get to Edgar Ramirez in a bit here. But uh, yeah, The Rock was really good. It was kind of like the African Queen meets the mummy was the vibe of this thing. Yeah, I've come in some money with like very much the plot of the first Pirates movie mm -hmm. to make this movie. Um, yeah, no, yeah, Rock Rock was a very big highlight. Is there actually like thinking about it while we're talking about the Rocks? We haven't really had a chance to talk about it much. Is there a particular movie of his that you like the most? Oh, favorite Rock. Um, hmm. I know it's going to be, you know, kind of a hot take, but I just, I, because of how much the film means to me in my childhood, I just, I got to go The Mummy Returns. That is a hot take because he's mostly CGI in that movie. I know, but that bit at the beginning where we first meet The Rock is pretty badass. And then I, I like the Scorpion King movie. I, I enjoy that. I know a lot of people hate that movie, but I don't. I think it's fine. I don't hate it, but I don't like it. Uh, you know what? I'll 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 double I'll double your hot take with my own hot takes. This is probably one that no one will say ever, but I'm going with Doom. I fucking love him in Doom. Fuck yeah, sorry much. He is ridiculous. He overemphasizes the word fuck every time he says it. I love him in that movie. <laughs> Semper Fi, motherfucker. Faithful to the core. <laughs> Like every time he says fuck, like those are scenes, like when like the thing's stuck in the wall, and he goes, then what the fuck is that? Like that's it's like the fuck is really emphasized. It's like I'm trying to really be like an actor here. <laughs> My favorite moment is when he finds the BFG and he just picks it up and he just goes like, Oh shit, and then just keeps walking. <laughs> How do you not love Doom? It's it's it knows exactly what it is. It's, it's so stupid, it's, but it's so much fun. It is cheesy fun, and I, I will forever love The Rock in that movie. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I We've talked about him. Uh, when we did F9, we brought up Hobbs. Uh, one of my favorite Dwayne Johnson roles, definitely, especially Fast Five, Hobbs. Yes, we keep saying some bitch. That's a special, unique Hobbs. With the goatee and the baby oil and the some bitch, they're like constantly dropping out Southern accent. So much baby oil, like holy shit, he is glistening in every scene he's in. <laughs> so, oh. I remember supposedly that whole line at the end of the sixth movie when they're like, "Oh hey, hide the baby oil," 
his comeback was actually not in the script. He just said it. So when uh, Ludacris spit out the beer, that was a real reaction. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's great. Um, I love him in his brief bit in The Other Guys with Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, he was great in that. <laughs> As the rock star cops. <laughs> Aim for the Angel bushes. Bush. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to go with an early take. And I actually really like uh, one of his very first songs, Walking Tall. I love Walking Tall. It's been a minute him, since I saw that. Yeah. But yeah. Him and Johnny Knoxville were amazingly a good team. Oh, dude, the fucking rundown. Oh, my God. Yeah, he was great with Sean William Scott. <laughs> when they're being attacked by the monkey and it starts humping his face and John William Scott's yelling, establish dominance. <laughs> Oh, that movie's good. Oh, God, yes. I love that moment at the beginning when he's walking into the bar and fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger walks past him and just goes, have fun. Like, passing the torch to the next big Hollywood action star. Yeah. Which, it, thank God it paid off, because I would argue that Rock is one of probably the biggest Hollywood action star right now. Like He him, might be and- the most bankable star in Hollywood right now. Yeah, yeah, honestly. That guy... Gets money out of every fucking movie he does. Yeah, there's a reason they call him Franchise Viagra. Yeah, all that started with Fast Five too, which is funny. <laughs> Fast and Five. It, I mean, what he did with Jumanji, I thought was hilarious. Oh, I thought that's when I really I remember watching the that Jumanji movie, and that's when I was like, I didn't know The Rock could actually be like this funny because I know he did humor throughout his action movies, but like that was pure comedy, and he is so fucking good in that movie. He's um he's been set to play uh, Jack Burton in a remake of Big Trouble in Little China for quite some time now. What do you think about that? I think if you know, like, well, I mean, obviously, beyond the fact that I wouldn't want that movie remade because uh, Kurt Russell is just to me Jack Burton. If you were to get someone, I think The Rock is actually your best bet. I think he could exude the qualities of Jack the most out of our current crop of Hollywood, you know, stars. Yeah. You know, I think you're right. Um, and I know it's been in production hell forever, but it is finally done. And I am a little intrigued by black Adam. Yeah. I mean, it's one's a passion project. It's one that he's been wanting to do. So I'm very curious. If he's going to bring to the table to something that he's been dying to do. Oh yeah. Straight up. Yeah. So the rock, as much as we, you know, as, as prolific as his career is, his films are never dull and they're fun and, you know, tongue in cheek and he knows what he's doing. And uh, he kind of paved the way for wrestlers to be movie stars. Yeah. Without yeah. him, we don't have Dave Batista and John Cena doing the same, yeah. same thing. They're both proven to be great in their own areas, right? Like John Cena to me is funny as fuck. I love when he pops up into comedy. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to see him in Suicide Squad. The peacemaker. Peacemaker. What is it that that when he asked that question at the meeting? Is that code for a for a butthole? For a butthole? No. No. <laughs> I love when he's explaining his motivations. Like he he loves peace at all costs, and he doesn't care how many men, women, and children he has to kill to get it. <laughs> like, who the fuck is this guy? I like in the very first show when he's talking about what he would do to like bring peace 
And he's like, if this island was full of dicks, I would suck every single dick to do what I need to do. I'm like, Jesus Christ. (laughs) This is James Gunn's chance to basically make an R-rated Guardians of the Galaxy. And I'm so psyched for it. I really am. They even the actors said that apparently DC said do whatever the fuck you want to do. Like that's what they told James Gunn. That's what they should do. Whatever you want. Every director they've had, just do what you want to do. I think the only reason they did the James Gunn is because they really wanted the best Marvel. They 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 were taking advantage of a situation that they were like, oh, we have an opportunity here, guys. Oh, I gotta say that was good planning on their part because now we as fans get the Suicide Squad and the eventual Guardians of the Galaxy three. So and the, everybody and, wins. Yeah, and the Guardians holiday special. And the holiday special. Ah, so good. Oh, Emily Blunt plays Lily Houghton, an explorer who has dedicated her life to finding the Tears of the Moon, a mythical plant that can heal all wounds. And I was surprised at how funny she was in this. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm going to try not to gush. I think it's very, I made it very known my crush on Emily Blunt. Blunt. God, I can't talk. But uh, I've always liked her. In, in all like seriousness, like I liked her in Edge, uh, Live Diary. What the fuck they want to call that goddamn movie? Edge of Tomorrow. They can change the name of it as much as they want. It's fucking Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah, I, I liked her a lot in that. I like her in the Quiet Place films. Um, I haven't seen Mary Poppins yet. I heard she's actually not too bad in it. Um, so she she's a she's a solid actor. She's a really good act, uh, actress. Um, but yeah, until this, I don't I've never really seen her do a lot of comedy. Or like really get all loosey goosey, and this one, I don't know if it's skin being paired with the fucking rock here. He just seems to always bring out the best in his co-stars. Um, she she loosened up and she was a lot of fun. She had a lot of really funny moments uh, with the rock, with the Jack Whitehall playing her brother. Like a lot of really good moments. I really liked her in this, and I hope it's. A, I actually legit hope it's successful enough for me to see more of those two at least. I loved the dad jokes. That Dwayne Johnson was constantly doing and just making making her like the whole time, like even when they were about to like when they were being like led into you know cannibal territory and he's like it's a terrible place to be headed. <laughs> and they're just like oh my god, really? <laughs> yeah, and what's funny is the payoff to that scene is that it was all a thing on his end, but at the time you're thinking, is he really making a joke right now? <laughs> Uh, Apparently that's I mean, what they do on the ride. Like the people who do the, the boat ride, they do those jokes. So that's part of the ride. Oh, okay. That was actually clever then. Um, I, I laughed when she kept calling him Skippy because as someone who's in the Navy, the last thing you ever call a captain of a boat ride is Skippy. Skipper is the official term. So the fact that she was constantly someone going, all right, Skippy, is all like, it's Skipper. Yeah, I love his complete change in demeanor, just like, <laughs> you don't call me Skippy. That was great. Um, I loved the uh, the natural development of their relationship. I thought that was good. It actually felt like organic, which was nice. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, uh, he kept calling her pants. <laughs> I like when she kicked the engine when she's like, "You just gotta give a little," boop, and she did that really weird thing with her fucking face, and it just kicks it. <laughs> I like when she like takes off her clothes to dive into the water and he's like, are you wearing pants under your pants? <laughs> and she's just like, shut up. Like when she gets in the water, she's like, oh my god, that's a leg, oh my god. <laughs> it's my leg. Oh, right, sorry. 
it's they had a, a lot of good moments. It was it was cute. Um, English comedian Jack Whitehall plays Lily's brother McGregor, Disney's fourth or fifth first gay character. Um, Whitehall is perhaps best known for his popular Netflix travel series, Jack Whitehall Travels with My Father, in which Whitehall and his father, Michael, travel the world and get into silly cultural situations. And I've watched this, and it's actually pretty damn funny. It's okay. Jack Whitehall and his like very uptight, proper English father just getting into ridiculous situations across the globe. <laughs> That may, okay, that's good to hear because I thought he was actually like really funny in this. Yeah, especially the scene when he was like, "You, you want my stick, Frank? I'll, I can give you my stick." Nope. All right. Well, the offer is still on the table. <laughs> I like when he there was a throwaway line where the Rock keeps like chucking his luggage into the into the lake into the uh, water, and he goes to confront him, and he's like, "My God, there's a lot of you." <laughs> his little throwaway lines were good. Yeah. Um, the only issue I had is, again, I was kind of, I don't know, I don't want to fucking piss people off here, but I'm getting real tired of Disney's first gay character <laughs> that they keep pulling for every fucking movie now. It is, as yeah. Soon, as soon as he gets to that scene and he's basically coming out, I was like, okay, Disney, stop doing this. Okay, we get it. You're fucking diverse now. We get it. I get it, Disney. You're in with the 2021 crowd. I get it. Also, Disney, you seem to forget that some, some of your films take place during times, historically, when it was not something you, you did because there was fear of, like, legit violent repercussion. Well, that comes up in the movie. He says, like, he lost everything because he, he, of who he loved, and his sister was the only one who stood by him. And Frank doesn't give a shit because he's a 400-year-old ghost. Yeah. I was like, this was probably one of the better handled ones. It was just like, I remember as soon as it came up, I wasn't trying to be that guy to be like, oh, god damn, but I was like, oh, god damn it. I was like, Disney, like, stop putting it in every movie and claiming it's your first one. Holy fuck. I don't mind. I don't care that it's in the movie. I don't care that they keep putting gay characters in the movie. I think they should. But I do think it's annoying that they keep claiming it's their first one every single time. That's annoying. Yeah, that's what's getting on my nerves. It's like, it's getting to a point to me, like, how I'm kind of like those that follow the A24 films we're talking about. It's becoming a formula that it's in every fucking Disney film now where there's going to be a gay character somewhere. And then at some point, Disney will be like, well, that's our first gay character, our first anime gay character. And you're like, holy shit, Disney, stop pulling that card. Just have characters. Just let people be people. Let the characters be organic, whoever they are, whoever they end up being. I do. I, I wish they'd stop treating it like it's a token. Yeah. that And that's what I mean. Like, it's, it's with each passing movie, it's falling less genuine to the plot. And more, hey, look, we're in with that 2020. We are diverse. We're in with the times. You know what I mean? Like, that's what's coming off with each successive movie. At first, it felt genuine. Like, let's actually try to make a character like this for the plot and really try to do this finally. And it's slowly getting away from that to, like, this token obligatory thing that it's like we don't always need at Disney. You really want to be... Like ahead of the times, you want to be diverse. How about make one of these gay characters the lead for once? It's always a side character. It's always a you know somebody's brother, somebody's friend. It's never the hero of the movie ever, because Disney yeah. still will never do that. Yeah, it's like okay, Disney, you're doing it, but when's it gonna be one of your main characters? Because so far, looking at the roster, at the list of films being released by Disney, that ain't happening anytime soon. They've had opportunities. They're just you know. They're assholes. At the very heart of it, they're assholes. 
Yeah, um, so that that's what I was trying to approach this without coming off like I don't want people to think like I could personally care less if the characters are gay or not. It's just it's becoming less genuine with each passing phone from Disney. Back to Jack Whitehall for a second though. He's got um a couple stand-up specials on Netflix, one of which is called um, At Large. And there's a great bit in there about this ongoing feud he's had since prime like since uh, grade school with Robert Pattinson. Because they both went to the same theater school and Pattinson kept getting the good roles. And even today, like, Whitehall keeps losing out on opportunities to Robert Pattinson. And uh, there's this great bit where he got a, um, he got a role in Frozen that got deleted and he didn't know. And he went on his own press tour talking about his, his role in Frozen. <laughs> and it's just, it's great. Hmm. Uh, he's, he's really funny. funny in this. Yeah. Like I said, he cracked me up a lot. Especially that's I don't know why that stick scene really cracks me up. Especially when he fainted after that. Well, that whole scene was loaded with, you know, sexual innuendos. Like, you know, don't pull on it like that and stuff like that. Oh yeah, I caught that. I was like I was like, ah, this is where the PG 13 came in. Like, oh. it's all these innuendos right here alone. Oh. Um Jesse Plemons plays the villain, German Prince. Joachim or Joachim, whatever he pronounced it. Uh, Plemons played the role of sadistic killer Todd Alquist on Breaking Bad and has appeared in such films as The Irishman, Game Night, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and Judas and the Black Messiah. He was pretty good. I, I like Jesse Plemons. Yeah, I like him too. I like him when he does comedy because I really liked him in Game Night. Yeah. Especially when they, when they end up at his house, they're trying to distract him. That scene is fucking comedy gold. That little bit where he just kind of like backs his way into the house was was so funny. I don't know why, but that was that was so funny. He knows how to play awkward, like super funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, I liked him in this. Like, I I I I laugh pretty hard when like the bees are telling him what to do, and he gets mad and like he slams his hand, and you see that motor from going like, oh god. <laughs> <laughs> I like at the end when he gets killed and he. Like he gets the one swear word of the of the movie in German. He yells "Scheiße" and the rock falls on him. And Jack Whitehall's like, "Oh my god, not what I intended!" Like he's just so proper. Like, "Oh my god," <laughs> and I mean a boulder, not the not the rock. Dwayne Johnson doesn't fall on him. A rock does. I mean, the rock falls on you. You're probably going to die. That's a lot of man. That is that is a lot of man. It's a lot of man. God. <laughs> Um, Edgar Ramirez plays the immortal Count Lopez de Aguirre, real-life conquistador who went mad and died in the Amazon searching for El Dorado. And I do wish his character had a little bit... I wish he was the main villain of the film. Yes. Uh, this is why I say, like, I don't know, I think a part of, like, to me, why it just felt like the exposition backstory kind of slogged the movie a little bit for me. Because he's not really that great of a villain. So yeah. there's all this backstory that I was just like, all right, it still doesn't improve your villain in any way. And like, honestly, like if I was doing this, I would have had that whole beginning scene in tax where you see them go into the woods and then yes, have the rock explain his part of the, like why he was involved, but maybe a little quicker. Like, I don't know, Disney again, another thing Disney loves to do constantly is make their villains as sympathetic as possible. When it's like Disney, you can have just bad people. It's fine. Like it's it's okay. Oh, look at like pirates. I mean, OG Barbosa was a sadist. 
I mean, he was a great villain. And I do like that way they made Davy Jones sympathetic, but I don't know, pirates, like, I feel like they wasted all of their opportunities and their cool ideas with the first three pirates movies. They, yeah, they really did. Cause I, like I said, the only, when I was, I know my review seemed like I didn't like it. I like this movie. It's just like, it just, you could tell they were just like, let's get that plot to pirates for this. And I felt that every, even like the villains, think about it. One was like the snake creature. Like they were literally Davy Jones villains. <laughs> yeah, they were. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, the German prince guy was kind of, he was, he was Beckett pretty much. Yeah. You can even kind of make the, the lead three characters, probably some of the pirates characters. The rock would be a souped up Orlando Bloom. Obviously, Emily Blunt would be Kira Knightley. And I would say actually Jack Whitehall would fill the, if you give him more scenes to chew, he could easily be the fucking giant up of this one. <laughs> that's, that's high praise. Um, finally, Oscar nominee Paul Giamatti plays the hilariously Italian boat mogul Nilo. Uh, Giamatti was known for his, or nominated for his performance in 2005 Cinderella Man and has appeared in over 100 films, including Sideways, the Amazing Spider-Man 2, Rock of Ages, Saving Private Ryan, Man on the Moon, American Splendor, and most recently, Gunpowder Milkshake, as we remember. Can I, uh, can I point out, it seems like in more recent films, he gets like really thankless roles now. Oh, extremely. I don't know what happened. Paul Giamatti hasn't had a leading man role in a long time. He's been kind of the goofy side character for a long time. Like, I thought maybe we get some more of it when I saw Straight Outta Compton, and he fucking did great in that movie. I was like, oh, maybe we're going to get some more. Nothing since then. And I do think Nilo was funny, but wildly unnecessary. Yeah. Like, don't get me wrong. It was cool seeing Paul Giamatti. I was like, oh, fuck yeah, Paul Giamatti. But you could take him out of the movie. It would have been fine. Especially when, like, again, you go into, like, the whole thing with The Rock built that town. So it was like, why would I know he said the throwaway line like he made friends, he made enemies. I know that I remember that throwaway line. But at the same time, like you really would make someone that you would owe money to in the town that you built. Well, are are generations not gonna know that Frank's been there forever? Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, you're telling me that no one like eventually people are gonna be like, why has this guy, this Samoan motherfucker been? <laughs> it's not like he blends in. He's a you know almost seven foot tall Samoan Hulk, just like working a river cruise for a hundred, two hundred years. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a plot hole there. That like, yeah, Paul Giamatti character is kind of useless. <laughs> well, Jungle Cruise has an IMDb score of six point eight, Rotten Tomato score of sixty three percent, pretty mixed. It's only grossed about sixty million on a massive two hundred million dollar budget. It's available to see in theaters or on Disney Plus for a $30 rental fee if you really want to do that to yourself. If you hate yourself that much, you can get it that way. And, you know, if because of these unprecedented times, apparently that's a fucking success. You know, watch. By the second weekend, they're not going to say shit about it. It's not like Space Jam 2, right? They, LeBron and the whole marketing team went, hey, ha, fuck you. It was a huge success. And the, the second weekend came out and it still did not even get anywhere close to $100 million on a $150 million budget and all of a sudden radio silence, no more gloating from them. I'd say at this point, these times are pretty precedented. 
They are, and it's like we just did this last year. Yeah, and you, you can't keep pulling the like, oh, the movie like had it not been a pandemic, this movie would have been successful. When go fuck yourself. Look at Godzilla versus Kong. Look at Mortal Kombat. Like look at like half the movies we have gone that have been huge successes. Black Widow. I mean, yeah, I didn't make humongously over his budget, but it made over two hundred million. Nice. So, like. You know, it yeah, these movies are the movies are still making money at the box office. Well, I hope F9, you look at fuck, how about sorry, I was to say look at fucking F9 and the fucking money it made. So Quiet Place Part Two, I think hit 300, 200 something million. Like, yeah, no, it's I'm sorry, it's Disney, your movies are flopping because we're not interested. Like, I'm sorry, Disney. Nobody wants to sell out 30 extra bucks. They just that's for, that's stupid. Yeah, because they, they pulled it with Cruella. They're like, well, Cruella is a success. It's just the unprecedented times. I'm like, it made below its budget. And what fucking fantasy land are you living in? Mm-hmm. I was like, Disney, you're losing money. I don't understand. <laughs> oh, Jungle Cruise. Uh, any scenes you'd like to highlight? Any themes? Any moments that we haven't already kind of talked about? Um, I will say, like, what... Uh, it, the overall thing I really like about this film, I know I mentioned it, we mentioned it a couple times, is that with all this shit that has, we've had some dark weeks, not just on the podcast, but film releases have been unusually bleak the past couple of times, and it doesn't help that some of our filmgasms have been bleak. We're about to do fucking butterfly effect here soon, so let's buckle off for that one. I do, I really did appreciate the fun, spirited tone that this film had. I really, it's again why I think like Jackass Forever is going to do huge at the box office. It's Here's a movie that, yes, it can take your mind off the shit going on nowadays, so just sit back and have fun. Um, apparently, audiences aren't really saying it, but, you know, the tone is fun. I do appreciate that on their end. Yeah, it's very fun. I, it was a nice change of pace. Uh, I was, you know, I I, for, I will admit, you know, I, I was shitting on this movie for quite a long time, especially on this podcast. Just trailers look generic. The whole idea sounds stupid, like a Jungle Cruise movie, really. But... I was entertained. I was laughing. I liked the dramatic bits. It was, you know, a little predictable at times, but, you know, these all are. These adventure movies are kind of, there's a mold here, you know. You take Indiana Jones, you take the mummy, you add a splash of pirates, you throw it on a river, you got Jungle Cruise. Yeah. I am, And like I said, I think that's what killed it the most for me, is that, like, you had, like, the the very fun tone, and you had the great chemistry between The Rock and Blunt, and, and Jack Whitehart. Really, all three were just superb to watch. Yeah. And I think just what held it back for me was the fact that it was essentially the plot lines of Pirates. It's like, is this one, to me, the better Pirates knockoff fucking, you know, Disney's live act, you know, theme park to live action films? Absolutely. It's one of the better ones. It's a hell of a lot better than saying through the Haunted Mansion. You know, like... Yeah. But does it having a damn near similar part to Pirates like hold it back for me? Yes, because then all I'm thinking is I can just watch Pirates and have more fun. And I've seen that movie like 50 fucking something times because I really like at least that initial trilogy, especially the first one. I love the first one. Yeah, I agree with you. It's it's fairly uh, the same, roughly the same movie, but... I was happy to just have something that didn't take itself too damn seriously for once. I was just, you know, enjoying the ride. And uh, I haven't got to do that in a while. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny because for a while there, it was also looking like, can't believe I'm saying this, that we would have to wait for Jackass forever. 
to have a good time at the movies, which isn't until fucking October. But luckily, Jungle Crew seems to be filling that void. It looks like Suicide Squad will also be a lot of fun. Um, but it's nice to not have to wait so long, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So, thanks. I won't. I will not take away the tone. I won't take away the our leads. They were great. Jack Brighthall was really cracking me up, especially he kept calling the tiger fucking um, uh, death kitty or the fuck he kept calling the damn thing murder, murder cat or something like murder that. cat. Yeah, that was cracking me up the whole time. His whole I love Frank's whole like scam with the with the with the cat with the leopard. That was so that was so funny. Um. His whole, you know, all of his bullshit scams were great. The whole bit with the with the tribe was funny as hell. Where he's like, you know, I don't want to keep doing this booga booga stuff. Like, and they're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> that was great. I loved at the end when they Jack Whitehall was speaking in front of the association, and he's like, we don't want you. Like, we you don't deserve us. So you can take your invite and shove it up your association. <laughs> that was great. And they're all just like, oh, rabble, 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 rabble. <laughs> I like when he's trying to talk at the beginning that same scene and he's like the cards are like wiped up and sweaty he's just like uh I love when he read off like insert dramatic pause like that, <laughs> that was funny yeah I, yeah, yeah I, Jack, he was, I was gonna say Jack Ryder like he needs more praise than me because he was like comedic gold throughout the movie he was he's been pretty much, you know, a stand-up comic who was always kind of struggling to get bit like bigger parts in films. And I, that thing he did with his dad really raised his profile. And I think Jungle Cruise is just gonna, I mean, he was great. He was, you know, what the third most billed character in this film. Mm-hmm. And uh I think he's gonna be he's gonna be the lead in Clifford too. So he's about to uh, his stock's about to take off. Oh yeah, his stock's about to be good. Um, I did laugh when he's like on the boat, the canoe with that uh tribal woman, and he keeps like talking and singing. She's like, Could you just please be quiet? <laughs> and then the sub comes up and she jumps, and he's like, Are you serious right now? <laughs> I like how both her and our uh Lily and McGregor kept punching Frank. <laughs> like- Whole family's got good form. <laughs> Okay, he's like, could you stop doing that? <laughs> I love the, the river tour at the beginning that Frank was giving with the tourists, and he just kept like, sl- you know, slyly insulting them. Like when he like goes after the kid, like the kid comes at him, and for a moment he looks like he's about to murder that kid. <laughs> oh yeah, this was this was fun. I would definitely watch this again uh, when it comes on Disney Plus for free. Yeah, I'm not paying $30. Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, boy. Remind, I don't know why, but that reminds me of a joke from Brooklyn Nine-Nine when uh, Andy Samberg's character, Jake, is, like, trying to budget, and he, re- he says, like, I realize that I can save, like, $200 a month by just buying John Wick instead of renting it every night. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that and uh when he's in the hospital and they's like they're telling him he's got internal bleeding and he's like well that's fine like that's where the blood's supposed to be (laughs) that show is so damn funny that's a good show (laughs) well i I did like when emily blunt used one of the dad jokes at the end of the movie she's like it's exhausting it took him a minute he's like ah like he was impressed I, i like that 
Honestly, I thought making him one of the conquistadors, I was actually genuinely surprised. Like, yeah, I didn't honestly see that coming. Mm-mm. When they started doing it, I was like, oh, shit. Because at first, like, he gets, like, you know, booted off. And I'm like, oh, shit, they really killed the rock in this movie. So like, they'll find a way to bring him back. Um, and then he comes back. I was like, wait a minute. And then he did the backstory. I was like, oh, shit, okay. Which, yeah, yeah it didn't, like, so led to that scene we keep talking about that's really funny with all the sexual innuendos of her trying to pull the damn sword out. Sorry, it's, it's my first time. I don't usually have to do this. <laughs> oh my god there's a lot of similarities to Shrek in this movie you notice that I did not actually well the whole like you know pulling the the dagger pulling the dagger out of his chest was like when she had to pull the, the arrow out of his butt in Shrek the whole like you know he's they kind of reversed it with like he's secretly something you know dark and considered dark and evil and is trying to find a way to reverse it you know, she's super awesome, but not respected by, you know, people because she's a woman, but can still kick ass. I just, there were little things I noticed that I think, little similarities. Okay. Do you think, uh, maybe I'm reaching. Do you think during the sword scene with the sex train, I was like, John Krasinski is going to watch this movie? Like, really, babe? Really? I wonder if that's a thing with like, famous celebrities and their spouses when they got to watch like the sex scene in their spouse's movie where they're like, you bet, I hope to God you were wearing the sock. Like <laughs> just thinking that like, God damn it, Tom Cruise banging my yeah. wife. Yeah, I was like, you think he's just inside thinking, please stop, please stop making sexual reunions with my wife. Cause like from all accounts, they're very much in love from what I understand with those two. Yeah, I think so. I bet she doesn't watch the office. Just, I don't think she does. You think she's just never bothered to watch it? She's like, I'm not watching The Office. I'm sorry. Nope. And I don't think he's ever watched Edge of Tomorrow. Because I wouldn't. I would You think like that's the thing? Like they're just like they just up front like, look, babe, I'm not watching this movie. It has nothing to do with you. I'm just I don't want to watch it. <laughs> you think they get offended? Like if they're in the like if they're in bed at night and HBO like they're on HBO and like Mary Poppins Returns is on, and John Krasinski just flips right past it. Do you think she gets up like upset about that, <laughs> or like when she's on Amazon and she just switch, goes right past Jack Ryan? Do you think he gets a little pissed off about that? <laughs> yeah, if I look like I sculpted my body for that, what is wrong with you? For the last time, I don't want to watch License to Wed. Stop bringing it up. <laughs> like, but we can watch Thirteen Hours. Michael Bay directed that. Can we pick a different movie? I'm barely in it. They always just settle on a quiet place because it's the thing they did together. <laughs> Not part two for some reason, just the first one. Well, part two is on Paramount Plus. They don't have that. <laughs> oh, we love you guys. I do like both of them quite a bit, honestly. I like both of the work. So. Uh, I give Jungle Cruise an eight. It's enjoyable, it's entertaining, it's fun, and it was a nice change of pace after a few bleak weeks. Yeah, I gave it a seven. Uh, like I said, the only thing holding back for me was the cobbled together, like very similar Pirates plot, but definitely one of the better knockoffs. I, I actually will watch this again because, yes, the tone's a lot of fun, it's a very fun movie, a lot of funny moments, and the three leads, I will watch them again. I think they were just fantastic. 
Hell yeah. Awesome. Thanks for listening, everybody. Next week is going to be completely insane. We've got James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. (laughs) It's to be believed, apparently, this one was a fucking masterpiece by everyone who's already seen it. So excited for this. Uh, In addition, also coming out are Naked Singularity in theaters with a VOD release the following week. So that's probably where I'll be watching it. I'm not seeing this thing in theaters. It's getting terrible reviews. Um, IFC's John in the Hole, if we can find it, and the Regal exclusive 645, which I may or may not watch. I kind of don't want to, just on principle. (laughs) Obviously, our primary focus is the Suicide Squad. I mean, do you imagine if we just did the whole damn thing around John in the Hole, talked about Suicide Squad for five minutes? Or like 645. It was so good. I'm just like, this is what we're doing. I don't care if you can't see it. We're doing 645. It's so good. <laughs> oh, I doubt it. I, I very, very much doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it. Also, don't miss the butterfly effect on Wednesday's Filmgasm and the heiress on Oscar Sunday. Have a great week and keep watching movies. God knows we will.